Approach pain relief from the ground up with Curex. Curex makes highly customizable over-the-counter insoles thanks to their dynamic arch technology, which provides different support for different arch types. They were developed by German scientists for the specific foot movements of various activities delivering the right support and cushion where it's needed the most. Curex makes the largest selection of activity-specific insoles for running, hiking, golfing, biking, soccer, tennis, or solely for walking and everyday wear. That's the Curex difference, and it can make a difference for your patients. For a free sample, email curexinside at curex.us. That's C-U-R-R-E-X inside at curex.us. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Have you ever found yourself standing on the sidelines watching a match and cringing when a player seemingly got his foot stuck in the grass and you worried about his knee ligaments? Or perhaps you felt outraged to learn that most women athletes have played their whole careers in boots that were designed to fit men's feet. Well, today on JOSPT Insights, we've got not one, but two leading clinician researchers to share the latest on footwear in sport. Dr. Katrine Krieger is a podiatrist and sports science researcher from St. Mary's University in London, UK. And Dr. Athel Thompson is a podiatrist and sports medicine researcher from Aspatar Orthopaedic and Sports Medicine Hospital in Doha, Qatar. In today's episode, they share tips on how to help athletes choose the right footwear for the match conditions. They talk about whether there's a link between footwear and injury and share the latest on the R&D front for footwear for women athletes. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today and welcome to JOSPT Insights, Kat and Athel. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting us on. Yes, thanks for having us on, Claire. We often think about preventing sports injuries by changing things in the athlete's training program. So we might, do, we might get them to do Nordic hamstring exercises to prevent hamstring injuries. You're both studying the footwear that an athlete chooses and the implication that choice of shoes or boots or cleats might have for sports injuries. Kat, can you walk us through what your research tells us about how much surfaces and shoes affect sports injuries? My research predominantly focuses on football boots, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk from that perspective predominantly. So when you when you look at injury um, risk uh, from from those perspectives in terms of both the surface and and the footwear, then we have some uh, some strong evidence from uh, like systematic reviews on on comparing injury rates and an injury burden on uh, artificial and natural grass. From like senior men's and women's football, showing uh, comparable rates um, and burdens, but the types of injuries you see on the surfaces are different. So you can almost imagine that an artificial pitch is like there's a little less give in the surface without sort of using too technical terms, and um, so the injuries you tend to see there are more around joints, so uh, being sort of stuck on the surface. Whereas with um, a grass, obviously the properties can vary much more with the 
weather conditions, but what we tend to see there, and it's quite common sort of muscle injuries where people slide or slip. But that's not to say that you can't get a ligament injury on, on grass and vice versa. The magic bullet here is the interaction between the, the surface and the footwear. So if people are wearing um, what we would classify as a not ideal type of stud design for a surface, we would probably classify that as uh, increasing the injury risk. And for our American listeners, when we British Australian folks talk about studs, we're talking about what the Americans would call cleats. And, uh, and I think, you know, there's, there's a really interesting thing that's sort of often either neglected or difficult to measure in research as well, which is um, when you talk about injuries, we talk often about like bigger injuries, which are um, causing a larger sort of time loss. But what we see quite a lot with football boots based on the fact that the, maybe we'll talk about that more later, but the discomfort often related to football boots is things like blisters, um, just regular pain, discomfort, soreness, and, and, and like, fatigue based on, on those factors. So those are sort of elements I don't think you should forget about when you when you talk about injuries and, and the interaction between like football boots and the surface as well. One of the common things that players will say when they get a serious injury like an ACL injury is like my foot got stuck. It felt like my foot got stuck in the pitch. Athel, a lot of your work has focused on this idea of traction and the type of grass and the relationship between the shoe and the grass. So what's this idea of traction or the foot getting stuck? Is that really a thing when we talk about injuries? It's a good question. I think um, if if we listen to the the player, it certainly seems to be a, a thing. And that's how I sort of really um, came on to doing this work. Was So in terms of, of traction, if you like, it's really just the, the grip or the resistance to movement between the, the, the studs on the bottom of a shoe and the surface they're playing on. And that can be resistance in a, in, a, in a straight line, which we need for acceleration and deceleration. We want to feel that to be able to push off that surface or to decelerate and change direction. But it can also be rotational or attraction in a rotational measure. And that's this, um, you know, this what we've been talking about with this foot having to release from the surface and be able to turn. There's likely an optimal zone of traction. Too little is probably an issue. We're going to slip over and not be able to perform very well. And too much is possibly an issue as well where we, where we can get into these scenarios that um, are a little dangerous. And so that's a really difficult job for ground staff to try and maintain for, you know, football teams or let's say even rugby teams where you might have a, a, a halfback number nine who is a certain body weight, 70 kilograms, and then you'll have another guy who's 140 kilograms or another, um, you know, woman who is, you know, a, a different um, size and a different movement strategy. So, so they're trying to find this kind of optimal zone for the, the hardness of the pitch, the, the, the amount of soil moisture that sits within that surface and the amount of traction. The only thing you can tailor to match the properties of that pitch are the shoes that you put on your feet. As cat, there's lots of different outsoles, so lots of different studs. They can be much longer. They can be kind of chevron or cleat-shaped or conical-shaped. Um, and across these, you'll find hopefully something across the across those outsole choices that will match up to the surface that you're playing on. So I think the I guess if you distilled it down to a is there is there something to take away uh, almost a, almost a rule? I, I think we'd probably like to see athletes not choosing a high friction or a high traction shoe with a, with a high traction 
surface. So we're adding two things together there. So we have these, these, these two things that must come together for the interaction, um, and we're trying to tune one of them into the surface that already exists. And we're going to come back to concrete recommendations and your advice for parents and athletes and perhaps coaches when choosing shoes. But first, Athol, can you briefly walk us through how you tested the traction on these different surfaces? Because I think you got a pretty cool bit of equipment that you use. Yes, thanks, Claire. Yeah, we've been really lucky at um, at Aspatar here in, in Doha in Qatar leading up to the World Cup. There's going to be 84 training pitches, I believe, four of them just for referees. So obviously there's been a lot of surfaces to test on, which has been fabulous. It's been a great time to be here. And we were able to get hold of a, a machine that has an artificial foot on which we basically load football boots into a kind of toe stance position. We drop these boots down onto the surface with a with a certain weight or normal load, if you like, in a vertical aspect, down to the surface, and then we uh, turn the shoe to release it. So we get a measurement of what is essentially torque, and it's measured in newton meters. So as the boot releases, we'll get a figure for how much rotational force it took to release that boot. On the same machine, we can also drag the boot forward and measure how much force that took for the studs to give way in a, in a linear or side-to-side um, action as well. That is really a, a mechanical surrogate for this relationship. You know, we're measuring with a mechanical device with a certain weight and then I guess being able to benchmark all these different types of studs and surfaces that we that we get. But obviously the caveat is that that is a, a mechanical device and we don't know how much that really shows us, you know, how an athlete moves and we're all so individual and we all have our own strategies for that there is evidence for it though at least in american football there's there's three papers that have done three-year prospective studies where they've taken boots to the surface that the the teams were playing on um dropped them down and measured the rotational traction and then followed injury now it's quite an alarming increase in in injury rates in the the groups that had the much higher traction shoe surface traction and and so that kind of made us sit up and and take a look at that there's also a relationship in similar studies with handball uh, european handball and finnish floorball where this sort of, sort of high shoe surface traction seems to lead to significantly increased injuries in Australian rules football, we've seen similar studies where they haven't necessarily measured the surface properties, but they've said this was a certain grass type and um, on this grass type there's more ACL injuries, for example, or, or certain surface conditions. So um, in soccer football, we, are still, uh, we still don't have any concrete evidence that rotational traction equals more injuries and we've been working on that for the last three years. So we have had 12 professional football teams over three years where we've measured all their surfaces with uh, with a lot of football boots. So in the end, we settled on finding the five most used shoes in, in the Qatar Stars League every year. And essentially that was pretty much the five most used shoes globally. So Kat, let's start to put some of this stuff together. Let's put our clinical hats on. You and Athol both have clinician hats that you wear as podiatrists. So what would be your advice for athletes who are trying to figure out what kind of boot should I choose? I think we've all seen some athletes might bring two or three different pairs of boots to a game and then figure out which boots or shoes to wear based on the conditions. So what would be some general advice that you'd share with athletes who are trying to make a good decision about their footwear on game day? Before even getting to the to the pitch and, and deciding on the outsole that Athel has mentioned, uh, it's about finding the, the boot that fits you. And I think the, the whole sort of fit 
is something that is highly overlooked in football boots compared to, for example, running shoes. I've worked with a company a few years back who had a sponsorship deal with a with a, uh, an international player, a male player, who had uh, his boot fitted for the first time and they went in and asked him what his uh, shoe size was and he said it was a UK size 11. Then they measured it and he was actually a UK size 8. Key thing here is, is fit. And with that comes plants of pressure, the low under the foot, uh, so falls over an area. And with the force over the area, the interesting thing with the football boot is that it's quite narrow and quite tight and there's very little cushioning. So compared to a running shoe, the area is much smaller. So the force that you generate has a, a smaller area to be covered by. So it really highlights that there's a lot more pressure going on under the foot. And that's related to concerns around sort of stress fractures, especially in the in the forefoot region. So with the, the modern design of actually doing like lightweight football boots and trimming down that sort of the extra protective elements and, and making it tighter to fit would probably increase the risk of injury and definitely of discomfort. If I just walk into a shop, I'm a I'm a humble recreational football player and I don't have a contract for my boots and I just walk into a shop Athol, how do I know what's going to be a good fit and what's going to be comfortable? Because I don't think the shop's going to let me take the boots home for two weeks and play in them, then decide, actually, no, my foot really hurts when I play in these boots. I need to switch them over. It at times comes down to personal preference, obviously, but I think something really simple that that especially uh, kids can do and adolescents have a growing foot is just remove the insole out of the boot and put it on the floor and stand on it. And if your toes are just around that similar sort of a shape or if the, the width of your forefoot, the front of your foot is a similar width, that might be quite a good shape. Now, football boots historically are worn tighter. People want to feel, you know, so it's a very, very difficult sell to say we need this much space in there. It's, um, people, they want to, they certainly hear all sorts of sayings, I want to feel my studs. So we have people actually take this insole out completely and they have the, the boots skin tight. Um, but as a rule, I would say that's an easy one. If possible, if the insole is removable and you can stand up on it with your normal kind of socks on and it sort of suits the shape of your foot when you're standing, that's a start. If your forefoot is kind of spilling over the size of this, you know, on each side of it, you have this huge amount of extra <laughs> foot that's hanging over each side, then that's probably uh, going to mean that the stud plate at the bottom is not going to suit the shape of your, your foot. And one of the things we try and avoid is overhang. So if we're having this really wide foot overhanging the stud plate, then there really isn't any protection, especially for some of those amazing free kicks where you see the people lean right over on the lateral side of their foot on their stance leg. So, and really they're leaning right over onto the upper of the shoe there. Um, one, the first thing would be, you know, first of all, just the shape of your foot and fit. Try not to buy them three sizes too small or too big. Let's just get in the general ballpark. Obviously, if you have other issues, you like to wear custom-made orthotics in your shoes then you may need a tiny bit more space. So you may need to definitely make sure that the insole can be removed and that you have that extra space. But that would be a good starting point. There's so many different stud types and where do we go from there? And I think one bit of kind of pragmatic advice, if I can say that myself, that we try and give the, the you know people working on the front lines, it seemed to make good sense 
uh, while we wait for the, the research to catch up, that players returning from a significant injury of a rotational nature probably choose almost these AG studs to begin with for their rehab work. So they're trying to decrease that rotational traction. In all our studies so far on the different surfaces we've looked at, the AG or the artificial grass, so small studs and lots of them, they consistently come up with the less rotational traction. Now, some of the other measurements we did for straight line stuff, they weren't actually that different. So my suggestion would be if, if you're especially for the kids and uh, people coming through and, and, and often even, heaven forbid, right up to elite women who sometimes get to play on substandard surfaces, I think erring on the side of slightly decreased rotational traction as long as your performance isn't hindered is a, is a, a decent thing to start, to start looking at. Kat, can you talk us through this, a whole bunch of different arrangements of studs or cleats, different shapes and lengths, and Athel alluded to some of that a little bit earlier, but can you talk us through what are the typical patterns that folks will see when they walk into the, into the shoe shop and which arrangement will work better for which surface? So we have uh, everything from sort of artificial to firm ground to hard ground to soft ground. And as Athol's sort of mentioned previously, the artificial ones are generally shorter, round studs um, and and many of them. Uh, and then it's sort of almost like you would almost say that there's a decrease in number and increase in length as you sort of progress up that sort of scale. However, it does vary from, from design to design and the shape might vary as well. There's an interesting interesting work by Carolyn Webb from uh, who did her PhD at Loughborough um, Sports Tech Institute a few years back, where she looked at different uh, shapes, different sizes, different placements, and and different quantities, and didn't really find a sort of a, a logical relationship between the the different ones. So there wasn't like a a clever way of saying, okay, well, if you just add one more, it will increase by X percent in terms of traction so it is really um at the moment sort of a test and try and like you know see see what the, what the the traction is like there's no sort of calculation behind it as such now we don't have the magic number yet but i like athel's suggestion to kind of go for the shoes that are marketed as that artificial grass type short studs and lots of them as a default setting and then depending on if you know you're going to be playing on lots of heavy, muddy, wet pitches, then you might choose something that's a bit longer in the studs or the cleats. Whereas if you're going to be playing on a hard, firm, dry surface, then you're going to choose something that's a little bit different shape. I thought when we're talking about the surfaces, how are the federations and the organisations that own stadia and constructing pitches, how are they thinking about protecting athletes' health? They really are evolving um, and they have been, you know, over the last 20 odd years or, or, or more. Um, we don't see, you know, these pictures of waterlogged, you know, the, these black and white pictures that we see and and the ball can barely move and, and it's completely muddy. They just don't happen anymore at the elite level because of the improvement to the way that these surfaces are prepared. Now, that might be as far as, of course, the drainage system but also a lot of them, so for this World Cup that's coming here, they'll actually have vacuum systems underneath them. So if they get a huge amount of water, which happened in Russia before a match, a big storm, they can actually turn this vacuum on and drain the water through so that they have that 
that window or that set amount of soil moisture that they require to have uh, good playability and the right surface hardness. And so they can basically do that through an app. And the huge improvements along with that, well, obviously these surfaces all being sand-based now, and then they require the, the hybrid reinforcing to keep them nice and stable. It just all means that they can drain. So they, they can basically be used in most conditions. We see the use of big grow lights because certain stadiums have roofs that cover and there's not much sunlight getting through. So we see the use of these grow lights or even, even heating so that, you know, in very, very like New England and America or places where pitches can become frozen, they, they've worked out ways to pretty much keep them playable at all times. Now, they've also looked at the World Cup here in 2022. They've looked at where artificial turf begins near the sideline. So we're kind of not having that, that difference in traction or, or friction or, or um, hardness. And they've come up with a rule of five metres, which is really quite a lot of space at the sidelines for the World Cup pitches. So they'll have lots of runoff area. They're looking at ways to make it more safe by also having some criteria for certain measurements. So again, measuring the hardness with something called a, a Clegg hammer, which has been used for years and years, just basically something that drops down on the surface and measures how quickly that this little missile decelerates when it hits the surface. So it tells you how hard it is. The soil moisture is measured and benchmarked. And they also have kind of ground stuff traction machines where they can measure that as well. Now, I want to come back to some of the issues that we touched on with boots and fitting and shapes and, and foot sizes. And I can remember always having to wear two pairs of socks and having lots of trouble finding women's boots, boots designed for women's feet. So Kat, I'm wondering what's going on in that space. And it seems like a pretty obvious issue that women's feet are different shaped to men's feet, but why is it so hard for women players and women athletes to find shoes that fit them properly? That's pretty obvious, Claire, because the football boots on the market today generally are designed for men. And the male foot shape, uh, I know of one brand that designs football boots for women. And I think there have been in history a couple of attempts from larger companies bringing on one or two designs without maybe taking too much into consideration the, the actual shape in that process. But I know that change is happening now. In, in that area and and the focus on the women's game is is, is happening uh, which is exciting so definitely as you say we know that women's feet are different uh, to the to the male foot obviously I have to mention this varies with ethnicity so it's not that all females have the same shape and size and not every male has the same shape and size and even within the ethnicities like these these vary but we do see tendencies related to both sex and ethnicity females do have a, a wider forefoot if you don't have the space for the for the foot in that area because basically it's just been a downscale male size and it's already a narrow cut for a male it would be an even narrower cut for female and uh, so there's a this is quite a big concern and we do see more um, stress fractures in the forefoot of female players. So there's there's an issue there definitely. And we have definite differences in terms of the arch height and the heel shape as well for females. So it's not it's not um, a surprise that you haven't been able to find a football boot that fits you. And I think a lot of females, including myself, who I've played my whole life and I think we've all sort of uh, and most of us have probably come to the conclusion that football boots were just not meant to be comfortable. That's just something that we've sort of grown up with. And I'm looking forward to seeing boots on the market. And, and, and well, there are, as I said, a, 
a couple now, but not not much. But I'm looking forward to seeing what this being uh, what the final products are going to look like when these are going to be released in a few years' time. What sort of research is going into developing these sorts of boots? You alluded to some of the differences in foot shape, but what might be some of the different considerations for designing boots for women versus the standard boots that are on the market now that are predominantly either you've got the choice between men's boots or kids' boots? Absolutely. And I think that, like, so fit was the one thing. And I think the others would probably be what track, uh, well, the traction that Athol has also mentioned, you know, like not necessarily just copying what like the requirements that we have for males and like the designs that we've sort of agreed are are the fitted traction properties for the different surfaces for male because we know that females are although the the game is developing aren't as fast aren't as powerful and and might require different traction properties so selling them as as a based on the surface might be misleading and i think there's Definitely needs to be uh, focused on 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 the on the on the outsoles and matching them to the the female requirements and and overall is is the quality as well. So I think a lot of females who have bought football boots in in the past have you know it's it's almost intimidating being a female having to go to the kids section and and find a, a football boots in there and 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 knowing that it's a cheaper version of the the design that's made for 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 the men. And you know, having that sort of optimal design and having the 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 focus on the on the materials, etc., is is something that's going to to change as well with the focus on the female football food. And what do you see as the biggest barrier to having a whole section like we see now? If you walk into a shoe shop and you're trying to buy running shoes, you can just walk straight over to a wall of shoes that is designed for women's feet. What's the biggest barrier to having that same kind of setup for, say, football boots, soccer boots, rugby boots, for tennis shoes? Personally, you know, I'd love that idea because I think it's it's important that we recognise that, you know, that I think we've already talked about it from both the performance and the injury perspective that, you know, it's important to have a footwear that fit your foot. So I absolutely think that it's it's a, it's the way forward. But the the barriers is obviously the buy-in from both the manufacturers and and the people buying it. So it's awareness from both sides uh, to sort of make sure that that the products are there and the products are being bought. Absolutely, and I hope that some of our chat today is one small part in raising awareness and advocating for something that I think we can all agree is really important. Thanks to you, Kat, and to you, Athel, for making the time to join us on the JOSPT Insights podcast today to talk all things shoes, sports, and injuries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Hold up. 